Hello and welcome to this School of Surgery podcast. My name is Philippa. I'm here with Miss Tierney, a consultant colorectal surgeon at the Royal Derby Hospital. And today we are going to talk about small bowel obstruction. So we're going to talk about how to spot patients with possible small bowel obstruction, risk factors and causes of small bowel obstruction, and then how patients would be managed. Hello, Miss Tierney. Hello, Philly. So, Miss um, Tierney, firstly, could we just talk about how patients present? So which symptoms would you be looking for in a patient with small bowel obstruction? A patient with small bowel obstruction would complain of the four cardinal signs or symptoms of bowel obstruction, which would be pain. Usually it's a colicky abdominal pain. They would appear distended when we looked at them. They would be vomiting with small bowel obstruction. And that vomit is classically feculent. So it looks around, it smells horrible. And the patients sometimes say they've been vomiting poo because it's very distal, stagnant, small bowel content. And they would also have nothing coming out the bottom end. Though a tricky thing sometimes is they still have a motion. They still have the bowels open with faeces. But if you question them in more detail, they'll say they haven't passed any flatus. Those would be the key features I'd be looking for in a patient. Okay, thank you very much. So just to clarify, how does that differ from a patient that presents with large bowel obstruction? So again, similar but different. So a patient with large bowel obstruction would appear distended. They would be complaining of a colicky abdominal pain. Um, they would have traditionally what we call absolute constipation. So no feces, no flatus, nothing out the bottom end. They may or may not be vomiting, and that depends on the competency of their ileocecal valve. So if they don't vomit, they have what we call a closed-loop large bowel obstruction, and that's pretty much an emergency you've got to get on and deal with because of the risk of perforation. But sometimes, as in many elderly patients, the ileocecal valve, the junction between the small and large bowel, is incompetent, so it can work the wrong way, and that's useful in this situation because then they can vomit and decompress their large bowel obstruction. Right, okay, so that's clear. So just to clarify, somebody who is vomiting with a large bowel obstruction is less of an acute emergency than someone who isn't. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, they're all emergencies, but yeah, they're less likely to pop. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. So what risk factors might you look for in a history of somebody presenting with possible obstruction? So for small bowel obstruction, the number one um, cause is adhesions. So anybody that's had any surgery at any time, and it can be years and years later, we're said to believe that laparoscopic surgery makes you less likely to get adhesions, but even laparoscopic surgery can cause adhesions. So scars on a patient's abdomen or in their groins would be a risk factor. Second commonest risk factor would be a hernia. And again, it's really important to examine their groins and look for any lumps or bumps. And things like a femoral hernia can be quite a subtle clinical finding. It just feels like a little lump of gristle in the groin sometimes. Okay, so would you expect that to be an irreducible hernia or could it still be reducible? You can be obstructed in a hernia sac, even though that hernia is reducible. But usually if they present with a bowel obstruction caused by a hernia, the lump is still out and sore. Okay, great. Thank you. So what would you look for on examination other than distension? So you're going to want, like with every emergency patient, you want to assess the whole patient. So you'd use an ABCDE approach. Um, They're often dehydrated because they've been vomiting for a bit at home. So they look dehydrated. They look pale. They look in pain. They might be breathing fast because it hurts. They have a fast heart rate, low blood pressure, low urine output. You'd want to catheterize this kind of patient because they're proper ill. And then you look at their abdomen, which would be distended. You can sometimes see visible peristalsis, which is a good old fashioned sign where it looks like they've got worms wriggling under their abdominal wall if they're not very muscly or very thin. 
And then what would you expect to find on a rectal examination? You should always do a rectal examination. It's part of proper surgical assessment of the abdomen. We have that old fashioned saying, if you don't put your finger in it, you put your foot in it. Um, but to be honest, rarely anything. You might in a large bowel obstruction find a rectal cancer. That's quite unusual. And I think we've already covered that you'd usually expect these patients to look unwell. And so you'd want to get them managed and treated quickly. Moving on to investigations, how would plain films differ from smaller bowel obstruction and large bowel obstruction? So once we've seen a our patient, we're going to resuscitate them with fluids and catheter and, and key and nasogastric tube as well. Okay. Stop them vomiting, make the pain less and give us a better assessment of the fluid. We'll send off our routine blood tests um, and then we'd ask for a plain abdominal film. Interesting point, actually, would we, if we thought we were clinically certain of the diagnosis. Would we bother with a plain abdominal film nowadays or would we go straight to a CT? I think I'd be happy to ask for a CT, but I think if you were uncertain or the patient wasn't giving a classic history, nobody would criticise you for plain x-rays. Okay. And in surgical patients, we still always ask for a plain abdominal film and an erect chest x-ray. The difference between the two conditions, um, again, a traditional teaching thing for medical students, really, and a small bowel obstruction, the bowel that looks dilated tends to be in the middle of the film and a large bowel obstruction is around the edge like a picture frame small bowel is obviously smaller and large bowel is larger but the key thing are the lines so on a small bowel you see lines that go all the way across the bowel and these are called valvuli conniventes and in large bowel they just go slightly in they sort of crimp in like when a child draws clouds and they're called haustra so those would be the main ways of telling the difference between the two on a plain abdominal film great thank you very much that's very helpful and then if you did order a plain film for a small bowel obstruction is it possible to identify the point of obstruction on a plain film or would you need a CT for that? Well, do you know, I think even on a CT it's difficult. Some people say they can. So if you've got a patient with a really good going history and a relatively normal abdominal film, then it might be a very proximal small bowel obstruction. You might only see the stomach dilated. And if the stomach is full of fluid, sometimes that won't show up on a plain film. So if you really think it should be a small bowel obstruction, yet your plain film looks normal, I would still proceed to a CT scan. But otherwise, I think you'll either see a lot of bowel or a little bowel. I couldn't tell you which point in the bowel it was on a plain film, certainly. Okay. What clues might you look for on a CT to guide your further management if perhaps adhesions weren't the most likely cause? If your patient has no scars, and again, there's another, I'm well into my old-fashioned surgical sayings, there's another old-fashioned surgical saying that says you shouldn't let the sun set on a virgin abdomen with a small bowel obstruction. So okay. that means if you haven't seen any scars and you haven't seen any hernias, the cause must be something within the abdomen. And that's mainly what I'd be looking for in a CT scan. Okay. Though obviously dual pathology can exist. You can have had lots of previous surgery and be unlucky enough to have another cause of small bowel obstruction in your abdomen. So I would generally get a CT. If you were looking to move from conservative management to surgical intervention, what would be your indications to progress on to surgical intervention. And so this is a really key part of the management of small bowel obstruction that people often don't do properly. If the cause is adhesions, then we should manage it conservatively in the first instance, which is with a nasogastric tube, intravenous fluids and adequate fluid balance monitoring. We should do that for a finite period of time. And opinions differ. Some people say 24 hours, some people say 48 hours. I don't think longer than 48 hours is appropriate. But during that conservative management time, if the patient becomes unwell, i.e. if they become tachycardic despite appropriate resuscitation and fluid replacement, if they develop pain or pyrexia or any of the signs of impending strangulation and therefore perforation of their bowel, then you would have to intervene and do an operation. Okay. However, I'm pleased to say that roughly about nine times out of 10, people with adhesive obstruction respond to conservative management. However, if the cause is not adhesions, then generally one must do an operation. And that 
the operation would be guided by the CT scan. And you should do that really within 24 hours of admission, certainly, if the patient's fit enough for surgery. Is there any advice in patients with adhesional small bowel obstruction that you can give to patients to minimise the risk of recurrence, or is that always going to be a risk? So again, it's difficult. And you do tend to get patients who might ricochet in and out on several surgical takes in a row, and that would imply that their adhesive obstruction has never completely properly resolved. And those are the patients who you might bite the bullet and do a laparotomy as a scheduled procedure. Okay. And by laparotomy, is that open surgery to correct the adhesions? Definitely. Yeah. Which usually we're against in adhesive obstruction if it settles, because it only makes more adhesions every time you intervene. However, there are there is anecdotal evidence that you don't want to be taking lots of high fibre and you don't want to have insoluble fibre, so things with pith and pips and peel are much more likely to cause a bonus obstruction if you have a lot of abdominal adhesions. So patients tend to learn what to avoid over the years, things like sweet corn. Okay, so it's more of a lifestyle modification with diet changes rather than anything else. But even that won't necessarily completely prevent it happening. So just to sort of summarise really what we've talked about so far, what would you say are the most common causes to look out for in a history and examination for patients that are coming in with possible small bowel obstruction? Number one, adhesions. Number two, a hernia. Number three, probably a right-sided bowel cancer, so colon cancer, that being much more common than small bowel cancer. Once on the right side of your abdomen, it's so near the ileocecal bowel, the sign that you see on x-ray and the symptoms are of small bowel obstruction. Okay, so finally, Miss Tierney, I believe that there is a current audit about small bowel obstruction going on at the moment. Is that right? There is. At the moment, because practices seem to differ anecdotally, there is a national audit of small bowel obstruction, which is run by a research network of surgical trainees, and it's supported by the Association of Coloproctology. Ms. Nicola Fernhead is, is running it for them, and it's also associated by the Association of Surgeons of Great Britain and Ireland, um, and it's a two-month snapshot of all the patients admitted to UK hospitals with an acute small bowel obstruction and how we manage them. Specific questions with regard to how we image them, how we resuscitate them, and also how we address their nutritional needs during the stay. And the findings will be really interesting. Thank you very much, Miss T. It's my pleasure. So just to close the podcast today, what would be the three main things that you would advise medical students and junior trainees to look out for and consider when managing patients with small bowel obstruction? So I think to look out for the key features when taking a history because they're pretty consistent, to make sure the patient is appropriately resuscitated, paying particular attention to their potassium and hydration status, and then to image them appropriately, generally with a CT scan, to plan their next management appropriately. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another podcast brought to you by School of Surgery. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook at School of Surgery, on iTunes, on Podomatic at schoolofsurgery.podomatic.com and finally by searching School of Surgery on YouTube. Thank you very much and see you next time.